0: morning and welcome to walk and talk this is episode nine i think as i was uh setting up the episode with the title uh usually I, I set it up with the number of the episode and then today's date and then once i'm once i'm done recording and i go to post it um i change it you know, i change the date i keep the number but i change the date to whatever i ended up talking about um and I think this is episode nine, but I should probably double check that before I go ahead and post it. I know that it's September 13th, and uh, beautiful day out here. So glad to be out for a walk. Uh, I'm posting on the main podcast this morning. Pot of Jake. Uh, if you don't already, go follow that channel. It's better than this one. Posting um, an episode with Brian Armstrong, co-founder and CEO of Coinbase. So really excited to get that one out there. Um, definitely for a long time, maybe all time, the most time I've spent, um, time and effort and energy and preparing. Uh, really excited to, to do that one in advance. And then uh, when the time came and we actually did it, it uh, at least met and probably exceeded my expectations, which is pretty hard to do because uh, my expectations were just about sky high. Uh, Brian's working on obviously not just Coinbase and crypto and increasing economic freedom in the world, but also uh, has co-founded in the last couple of years a couple of new companies, which he's a little bit more passively involved with, I think, but nonetheless co-founded fund, and helping lead um, at a high level. And those are New Limit and Research Hub, the former of which is focused on radically extending human health span, an issue which obviously I uh, care a lot about and talk a lot about and have people on the podcast to talk about. I just think it's an extremely exciting opportunity that uh, hasn't really meaningfully been pursued in a realistic way in human history, and now we may be at the point where it's time to do so and uh we've got a real shot to slow or potentially reverse aging to live longer and healthier lives which uh you know people have all sorts of critiques about but uh, people also have critiques about just humans living and they want to stop having kids to preserve the climate and things like this and it's just an argument that um you know i think i understand to some degree but sort of can't understand and just so fundamentally disagree with. Um, you know, I don't feel strongly about a lot of things, but I think humans are good. And, uh, you know, should we absolutely uh, scorch the universe for the benefit of humans? I guess there's some argument maybe there, but like in a situation where there's a lot of ambiguity around climate change and the impact that humans have and whether that impact is truly terrible or... Even bad, or might not really be determinable as good or bad, because we don't really have another Earth to run a uh, control experiment on and see what would happen if we didn't have all this industry. And we're working towards sustainable energy anyway, as it is, and sort of have to get there at some point anyway. So I don't know the uh, the concept of like not bringing new human life into the world or constraining the um, you know. Lifestyles and things that people do, um, just sort of for what I view as sort of a um, I don't know, uh, maybe I, I won't comment too much more on it, but um, I'm pro humans and uh, would like to see us make life better for humans and ideally for, you know, I'd like to add a, I guess, Matt Camerlin on the podcast who's working on the dog aging project to extend. Human health span in, or rather, uh, extend, extend lifespan health span in, in dogs. Uh, I would love for man's best friends to live long and healthy lives alongside men as well. And I like animals and nature and all that, but uh, I like humans a lot as well. So, anyway, um, New Limit, he's, he's focusing on extending human health span, and then Research Hub, he's focusing on accelerating the pace of science. Making science more open. We sort of saw with COVID and the vaccine how quickly the scientific community can move uh, if and when it needs to, and when some of the sort of friction that's imposed on the process by regulators and the like is um, sort of removed, and things are able to proceed in a more open and collaborative and global manner. Uh, So, we, you know, the vaccine probably was one of the more impressive. Human accomplishments of the last century, or something like that. And, uh, you know, what happens if we sort of make that the normal mode of operation? And additionally, what if we start bridging a lot more scientific discoveries and breakthroughs into commercial products? Um, Brian talks about how that's sort of how um, Genentech was started and um, SpaceX came to be, and even Google. And uh, how many more companies of this? level of, uh, you know, importance and impact could be created if we sort of built a better bridge between scientific research and commercial products, I think. It's hard to really predict, but right now that bridge is very shaky, if it even exists. Not a lot of throughput. And uh, if we can turn it into a superhighway, might end up with a lot more amazing products in the world and just a quicker time from... Uh, I guess what they call like bench to bedside. So turning something from uh, the labs into something that can actually help people. Um, So anyway, all super cool. Great discussion with Brian. Really enjoyed learning about um, how he went about scaling Coinbase at such a rapid pace. And uh, just sort of his origin story is just um, a lot of interesting tidbits in the conversation and highly encourage you to go listen if, if you're at all interested. If you're interested in this, uh, again, you know, not many people here probably, uh, you should go, you should go listen to that. It's, it's, uh, definitely really a quality, uh, piece of content and informational and educational and, uh, and ener- a little bit entertaining, I think, and just enjoyable. So I anyway, know I'm a little bit biased, but one of my favorite episodes that I've done. So go check it out on the main channel if you like, um, Today I thought, uh, I don't know where this is going to go exactly, but I thought that I would talk about a few things, two lessons maybe from uh, one of my favorite people of all time that I've never met at least, Uh, and that would be Steve Jobs. Um, So I was very inspired by, uh, hold on one second, I'm just crossing the road here, trying to pay attention. I um, was very inspired by Steve Jobs, uh, in particular, after my freshman year of college, when I decided to take a gap year and try to start a company, um, I read, I was reading a biography of Steve's by the time, or I mean, he didn't write it, but about Steve at the time, and uh, And it wasn't the main one by Walter Isaacson. It wasn't even the sort of second best known one becoming Steve Jobs. It was this other one called Steve Jobs, Life by Design by George Beam, I think was his name. And uh, it was sort of uh, structured around Steve Jobs' um, Stanford speech, which you may or may not have heard if you haven't heard I couldn't recommend it more highly. Um, I sort of have a thing for graduation speeches for whatever reason. I find them inspiring and sincere. And uh, there's a lot of times some great speakers and in, in positions to give those speeches, so where you might not otherwise hear from them in that format. So really like graduation speeches. Um, Bezos has another great one at Princeton, and um, David Foster Wallace has one that I really like, um, there's a bunch of others that are not, they're not coming to mind for whatever reason, but um, graduation speeches are, are really cool, I, I think. Um, so anyway, this is definitely my favorite, the uh, Steve Jobs one, and the book sort of takes some of the stories and some of the lessons from there and uh, expands upon them and uses it as sort of a uh, launching point to talk about, you know... Steve Jobs overall in his life and his work at Apple, and uh, write a biography about him. So, um, and that was before I really—I was not a reader uh, early in life. I sort of got too many reading assignments from school that it turned me off from the whole thing, especially you know reading assignments and things and books that I really wasn't interested in at all. So, um, the the con was that I never really read that much uh, at all. I would sort of do the bare minimum necessary to be able to do decently well in the class and that almost never evolved actually reading the book. It was more like reading the spark notes and uh, listening you know a little bit in class and uh, sort of picking up what I could without having read the book to be able to talk about the book and sort of understand what's going on. And I thought that was actually, Maybe I should wait for a second. There's a leaf blower. I'm not sure if you can hear that. But um, I thought that was actually really valuable. I, I like to look back at things as having happened for a reason and for me as opposed to to me or against me. And so maybe there's some bias here in that regard. But um, what I learned from that, you know, while I didn't – it wasn't a bookworm like a lot of these successful people you hear about um, – one of the most common traits between them seems to be that they're big readers, and that's part of the reason why I uh, have started reading a lot more over the last three to five years. But, um, and I'll talk about that a little bit, because I actually think it's interesting the whole re- reading, I, I have sort of a bit of a hot take on reading, but um, what was I saying? Um, oh, yeah, anyway, I look back at that as sort of a blessing in disguise, because it really taught me to sort of i don't I don't know the right word to really or the right way to describe it but roughly like pay attention and really listen to people and what they're talking about and um figure things out without having to you know go to the books and uh like understand sort of what's important and what's not I don't know, this might be, like, uh, and I, some of these words that I'm using might be not totally the best, but basically, like, how to figure things out, and uh, and by not reading a book and constantly being tested on these books, I had to figure out how to sort of uh, get by, but not just get by as in, like, you know, get seized and, like, pass the class, but, like, I, I did fairly well in school, and uh I did it without reading. And I think that, that also sort of maybe contributed to showing me, you know, you don't have to do things the way that they're supposed to be done. You can figure out your own way to do them just as well and maybe, you know, more efficiently and more effectively. And so instead of reading the book, you read the spark notes. I'm not talking about anything, like, incredibly clever here, but I think I probably... I'm on the far end of the spectrum in terms of, uh, you know, not cracking the books and doing reasonably well in the class. Um, some people like, you know, even if you read the spark notes, that might not totally get you there. And somehow between like the spark notes and the listening in class and, you know, asking a few questions, cause you also have to like ask questions in class. That's like a part of the grade back then. And, um, figuring out how to ask, uh, a good question without knowing the book that everyone's talking about. Um, I just thought it was, it sort of, it's like uh, giving yourself like a disability. Like do you, if you, um, you know, people who are blind have like great hearing, right? Uh, so maybe by taking away sort of like one of the main things that I needed, which was like reading the actual book, it made me better at, like, a bunch of other things that are sort of, I'm having a little bit of trouble describing, but, like, sort of figuring things out um, from just, like, the people around you, and, uh, some, like, get-to-the-point type of resources, uh, that really extract, like, I mean, parts that you need to know, and whatever, uh, basically cutting a lot of the fat, and, uh, spending time efficiently and effectively to get the desired result or whatever it is. Um, So anyway, I'll I'll proceed to my hot take on reading because I brought it up, which is that while today you look at people like Bezos and Elon and basically, you know, Warren Buffett and name your favorite successful person, whether it's a CEO, I mean, I'm talking about mostly sort of business, but also other areas of sort of, uh, I don't know, so just highly successful people, um, coaches maybe as well, things like this, uh, leaders of, of all sorts, um, uh, tended to be big readers, leaders are big readers. And, um, what I, the, the hot take sort of is that because of all of that, it's considered, you know, you hear from all of those people, they highly recommend reading. They spent their childhood in a library or reading books at home. Couldn't recommend reading you know, more highly and attribute a lot of their success to having read so much. And that's all great, and that's why you know, that's part of the reason why I've started to read more. And now that I can choose my own books, it can be much more enjoyable than having to read what's assigned in school. Um, but the thing I think about is that, you know, these people who, these role models, like you can never, you can't follow um, the playbook in life to, to repeat the same results. That's just not how really life works. You can take various lessons and advice from people, but your circumstances and environment and the time in which you live and the place in which you live and the goals that you have, all of these things are different. And so... If you take someone's playbook and try to follow it to the T, you might end up with a somewhat of a similar result, but there's certainly no guarantee. And um, you know, I think it's more valuable probably to take like sort of bits and pieces that resonate with you and your goals, and you think will be applicable in your time and things like that. And uh, so anyway, when I think about these people who are recommending reading books, and they attribute much of their success to reading books. All of these people, um, or you know, most of them at least, the thing that they have in common is that they're a lot older than I am, and they grew up in a different time. Uh, most of them grew up. Uh, these people that I'm talking about, at least, grew up, you know, pre-internet and uh, just in a very different world. And uh, we, you know, this this thought that I've considered is like, what if reading is no longer sort of what it used to be. Uh, I mean, of course, reading itself has like stayed the same, but um, there may be a new sort of medium or uh, process for what you could roughly call learning. I mean, there's more to, to reading than, than learning, but um, let's just use learning as like an oversimplification. Perhaps the most successful people 20 years from now at age 50 or whatever will be people who spent their whole maybe 30 years from now, whatever you want to call it, people who spent their whole, um, you know, childhood, like just absolutely inhaling YouTube. And uh, obviously not like the totally worthless and uh, waste of time videos, but like real going down and having the discipline to go down the, the rabbit hole of really highly valuable YouTube videos or even documentaries and, or even movies. Um, Like there's, or TV, there's all these, and I'm not, you know, of course, there's a lot of TV and movies that are not probably going to be as valuable for you as a given book or something like that. But um, there's all these new sorts of media. Oh, podcasts is a huge one that uh, I didn't just mention that is worth mentioning back. Um, I found podcasts to be tremendously valuable. Um, Probably. If I really think about it, for me personally, I mean, I'm pretty sure podcasts have been more valuable for me as a listener exclusively, Um, ignoring, you know, obviously doing a podcast has been extremely valuable for me, but just strictly as a listener, I think I've probably got a lot more value from podcasts than reading um, books. And then there's also reading blogs now. So maybe blogs are better than books in some way. Um, And there's Twitter. And despite Twitter feeling like a real waste of time, lots of the time, perhaps Twitter is, you know, perhaps uh, 30 minutes on Twitter per day is more valuable than 30 minutes of reading. Um, I'm not saying that's true, but I'm acknowledging the possibility. So basically we have all these new forms of media. And if they're not new... Like movies or something or or documentaries, they're much more prevalent and easily accessible and arguably just a lot better. Um, and so it may be that the most successful people in the world in 20 or 30 years, uh, you know, they may have read, uh, because reading is sort of still regarded as like a smart thing to do. If you're a smart person, you might, it's likely that you might be a bit of a reader. Um But some of the extreme examples of, like, these really successful people, like, you know, Elon's a great example, I think, where he just, like, read and read and read as a kid. I, at least that's how I understand it. Um, just, like, all he did was read. Um, and uh, it could be that we see some extremely successful people who were, like, all they did was, um, you know, surf YouTube or uh, go on Reddit or, like, some... Different thing. And so it's not so clear to me that, like, reading is the single best path to become smart and wise and uh, knowledgeable and, you know, build these characteristics that will help you succeed in life. Um, It may still be the case, but the reason why I ultimately made a concerted effort to start reading more was despite this sort of doubt as to whether it's really that valuable of a thing to do with my time, um, you know, I, I sort of give benefit to that, that it is, it might not be like the best thing, I don't need to like, read like crazy, but I started trying to commit, you know, half hour a day, or I don't know what I really end up doing, but basically just like reading before bed, and for a while I was reading first thing in the morning, but I felt that was just a little bit too sort of slow of a way to start my day. Um, I mean, I think it's good to start your day in sort of a slow way, like this walk and talk is, in a way, you know, part, part of that. But um, reading in the morning, I sort of just like want to get up, like I want to get out of bed. Maybe if I got out of bed and read, that'd be a little bit of a different story. But reading before bed, um, you know, when I'm going to sleep. I think that is, like, I've talked about, you know, on a previous episode, like, combination activities, like, running with a podcast in. It's, like, obviously, you know, a run is good for you. It's, like, a good way to spend your time, um, you know, for at least, if you're going to run, like, seven hours a day or something, maybe that's not the best use of your time. But if you're going to run, like, 30 minutes a day or five days a week or something, it's pretty hard to argue that that's, like, not a good use of time. Um, exercise is generally good. Running seems good. So it's good. But then when you add uh, and then, you know, separately podcasts, listening to a podcast is if it's a you know high value one for you, then that's probably a great use of your time as well. And then so if you combine those two things and you listen to a great podcast while going for a 30 minute run, it just like really makes the argument really, really difficult. But that's not used, a good use of time. And You know, part of my, like, if I had to talk about sort of my overall objectives in life, um, one of them is to just like spend my time well and uh, make it all worthwhile. And uh, so if I can find things like that that I can do regularly that I'm really, really, really confident are a good use of my time, then I love that. Um, And so this isn't a combo activity that I'm talking about with reading, but reading before bed, it's, you know, it's not a combo activity, but it's an activity at a particular time for a particular reason. And basically it's like reading before bed. Not only do you get the benefits of reading, which again, generally worthwhile, probably at least 30 minutes a day, you know, maybe seven hours a day is too much, but 30 minutes, pretty hard to argue. Not a good use of time if you're reading good books and whatever. Um, And then Specifically, though, doing that before bed, I found that reading really helps me fall asleep. Um, not that I have much trouble with it, but like, for better or worse, when I open a book, a lot of times I start drowsing off after, or dozing off. I guess drowsing off—I don't think is the word—but um, start dozing off after anywhere between five or ten and thirty minutes, or even an hour. It depends on if I'm really sleepy or not. And that's sort of, sometimes I don't really know how sleepy or not sleepy I am until I crack a book and see how long it takes me to fall asleep. But um, I find it sort of like a peaceful way to get yourself to sleep. Um, Certainly better than scrolling your phone up until the last minute or something like that. Probably better than watching TV. Um, So um, yeah, reading before bed is definitely a habit I've tried to implement over the last Few years with pretty good success, I'd say. Um, I either read or, you know, sometimes I'll go to bed and I'll be pretty tired and I'll just go straight down. But, uh, generally keep a book going and, uh, if I get stuck in a book, try to move on, pick a new one, not stay in the same book for too long in a sort of stuck position. Um, so anyway, I knew, I thought I was going to talk about some Steve Jobs stuff today. And I've sort of ended up talking about some other stuff. Um, so maybe maybe I'll... Well, uh, in some days I have too much to talk about, and that's, I think, the way that this thing is going to go. Um, I'll say a couple more things on reading real quick, which is uh, uh, one of the best pieces of advice. I've, I've gotten sort of two um, really nice one-liners from someone who is well-known to have great one-liners. Um, and that is Naval, um, one of the first people I really started like paying attention to on Twitter when I got started on there in... Uh, Early 2020 and uh, helped sort of open my eyes to the value of Twitter and, and everything like that. Um, and uh, really enjoyed the book that uh, Eric Jorgensen did on some of Deval's stuff called the Navalmanac, and uh, or maybe it's called the Almanac of Deval Rabicon, one or the other. And uh, really good, quick read. Speaking of reading, I um, had Eric on the podcast actually the main channel to talk about it and some other stuff. That was a cool conversation. Um, But anyway, two of the good one-liners I got on reading from Duvall, who also is an example of someone who evidently just sort of grew up in the library um, every day and just read a ton and a ton of books. And I sort of like the way that he talks about it, at least, which is, like, really... um, you know, focusing on, like, really fundamental books and um, not worrying about reading, like, everything in a particular category, but starting with, like, the most valuable book on economics or evolution or um, physics and just really going for, like, the, the cream of the crop and quality and really trying to understand that very well rather than digging in all over the place and getting lost on the fringes or whatever um and uh so anyway the the two lines one of them was uh, i think read what you love until you love to read and as someone who tends to want to read books like there's books that i want to want to read and then there's books that i want to that i actually want to read um and i tend to pick up the books that i want to want to read but when i'm actually in them you know they're like it's more work than pleasure and uh sort of have to like grind through it and that's what I was talking about, like getting stuck in a book. Um and then so I think, you know, my nature again is to read these books that I think will be very valuable to have read. Um regardless of sort of how enjoyable they may be to get through. And of course I sort of convinced myself in my head that I'm gonna really like them. But as I actually get into them, you yeah, know, there's it's like uh, you know you might want a healthy meal and you might genuinely sort of enjoy that healthy meal or think you're going to enjoy that healthy meal. But when you're actually like eating pizza or like a burger or something, you might just like devour it a bit more quickly than a plate of broccoli and chicken or whatever. Um, and so that's like sort of what you want to want to eat versus what you actually want to eat. And that situation, I would advise sort of Uh, having some discipline to eat what you want to want to eat because it's healthier. And I think it's valuable with books as well. You know, read the books that you want to want to read because um, obviously you you see that they're going to have value for you. But to build the habit of reading, which I did not build as a kid, it's very helpful to continuously remind myself that I should just read anything. Um, Even if it's like junk food, um, just read you know, not worry about the most impactful book that I can read for myself right now so much, which is sort of my natural tendency, and uh, instead just pick up a book that looks like I will really devour it, um, or that once I notice, once I've picked up, I just immediately start devouring it versus plodding along. Um, and I end up sort of shifting between the two types and there's some overlap in those types, which is the best case scenario, a book that you really want to read that you end up devouring. Um, and I still tend on the side of these books that I sort of want to want to read. And it's not like they're, I'm sort of making them out to be like w- much worse than they are, like I still like them, but it's, and I enjoy them and, and I do find them very valuable, but it's sort of just more like a little bit more like work, which, you know, work I also like doing and want to do. But um, and you know it's valuable, but it's just a little bit of a different thing. You're not like maybe gonna read it for five hours straight, like it's just a little bit too dense or dry for that or something. Um, whereas like a really easy fiction, like a book I read recently called Plum Island, I just like tore through. It was like watching a movie um, or a TV show or whatever. Um, and I've also really enjoyed sports books. So, um, you know, book on Tiger, Arnold Palmer, um, biography or autobiography. Um, I think Jack Nicklaus, although I'm kind of forgetting now. I don't think Jack Nicklaus actually. I listened to a podcast that he did on, uh, on what podcast did he do? Uh, David Rubenstein, which by the way, is a really solid podcast. If, uh, if you want to go check that out, uh, he has some great guests like, uh, Bob Iger from Disney and Jack Nicklaus, like I mentioned. And uh, I forget who all else, but some really high-quality, sort of hard-to-get guests. Recently, I just listened to an episode he did with Sam Bankman-Fried from FTX, which was uh, cool and you know, interesting and also pretty, a little bit funny and entertaining. Um, and uh, anyway, that was one of the things, read what you... Uh, read what you love until you love to read. I think that's great advice for building a more regular, consistent habit of reading. And then uh, the other piece of advice that I, I haven't listened to him on, I know that it's sort of like right, um, but I just cannot bring myself to, not that I cannot, of course I could, but I just don't want to listen. <laughs> um, and that is to treat books sort of a little bit less um, Respectfully is the wrong word, but just treat them like you sort of would like stumbling upon an article on the internet and like skim it a bit and pull out what you want and move on and click the next website and just sort of like don't, you don't have to treat it as this like precious thing that you have to read cover to cover, can't miss a word, have to retain the whole thing or whatever. Like just treat it as like a resource and skip to the chapters that are interesting to you I don't know if he had a one liner on this, actually. It's sort of a bit of a deeper, uh, more nuanced concept or whatever. But basically, you don't need to read the books cover to cover. Don't waste your time in a book that you know you're not liking. That part I have listened to. Um, I will move on from a book, even if I'm, you know, whether I'm 10 pages in, 100 pages in, quarter, or halfway through the book, I've gotten a lot better at just abandoning a book that I'm really stuck in and no longer enjoying. Um, and uh, the only time I would say I struggle is if I'm like three quarters of the way in or something and just really plodding along, maybe have been for a while. Sometimes I'll sort of push that one to the finish or something. But what I definitely don't do is just like pick up a book, skip to a certain chapter, read that chapter and move on. Um, and I think that would be cool and, and useful to do someday. But for now, I, I really enjoy sort of As uh, much as it is sort of probably like a vanity thing, I enjoy picking up a book and reading it all the way through and, you know, putting it on my list of books that I've read. It's just like a nice thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Again, I'm not trying to be too hard on myself for the reading habit. I'm just trying to read, you know, in the 80th percentile or 90th percentile of people that read and, you know, hopefully a pretty high percentile of sort of the quality of stuff that I read as well. And uh, I think that's been great. So um, nothing to complain about there. And, oh, I guess the other thing I didn't mention about reading was that uh, not only did I come to sort of appreciate the, uh, that it's probably a valuable thing to do and, um, you know, that it was really good to do before bed but maybe half of the reason, I didn't explicitly mention this, although it's a little bit implied in the reading before bed part, but, um, maybe half of the reason I sort of convinced myself that, uh, finally it was time to start reading was that, uh, I, I came to believe that the practice, oh, hold on, my alarm's been going off. Hopefully you haven't been hearing that because, uh, it's just been in my pocket, going off, and I couldn't hear it because of the uh, noise canceling. So if you could hear that, apologies. But uh, anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, so the the practice of reading itself, I just came to think, was like a valuable activity in and of itself, regardless of whether you're even retaining or getting any information. Um, and actually, I brought up running as a good thing earlier, and it's Kind of a similar reason is that we live in a world of such short attention spans and um, everyone's distracted all the time, jumping from one thing to the next. And if you can settle into a 30 minute run or an hour run or settle into reading for 30 minutes or an hour, um, I think it's nice to sort of engage with these very sort of fundamental activities that um, maybe lengthen your attention span a little bit. And get you to focus on something for a while, and I find that reading is just very um, sort of calming and feels like a uh, somewhat virtuous activity if I'm not pushing it too far. Um, and so, if you combine sort of the nature of the activity itself with the value that you might get out of it, I figured it was a worthwhile thing to start doing. And just as context, you know, I talked about not reading as a kid. Uh, my mother actually wrote a book, um, a few of them, and uh, so she and she's a huge reader, and always has been. And um, she used to hate when I would say, uh, maybe not hate, but uh, really dislike this thing that I would say, which is that um, you know I thought books were dangerous. That was like sort of my my short little hook, um, which I'll explain. But I would always say, you know, she wanted me to read more and uh, she wasn't overbearing about it or anything like that. She just would have loved for me to read because she loved to read. And, you know, now I see why it's, you know, I think there's, there's a great argument to it. But at the same time, I am glad, again, that I didn't. Um, and again, I might be biased by sort of not wanting to have regrets and uh, being looking at things in the past as having worked for me. But I'm glad that I didn't start reading until Really, after college, um, in any material way, because um, it gave me a chance to develop my own perspective. I think, to a little bit of a greater extent, Um, like in a way, I I think there's—it's just inevitable that whatever you read, um, you're not like critiquing every line. You're—you might see some things that come up that you disagree with, but on the whole you're just sort of mostly accepting into your head whether you know it or not or intend to or not i think you're just sort of accepting the perspective into your head and so if you at a young age start reading all these books that by the way you know you're not choosing or your parents aren't choosing but your school is choosing uh which may or may not be what's best for you especially not these days but also even when i uh you know when i was back in school I don't want my school to curate my perspective, and of course, it you know it does to some extent anyway through just classes and whatever. But um, I'm much more glad to, to the extent that reading is like one of the primary things that helps you refine, or develop, and refine your perspective. I'm much more glad to have spent a lot of time developing my own perspective just from sort of living and observing the world around me and uh, exploring interests and things like this. Um, just like sort of, I, I don't know, just observe, yeah, observing the world around me and developing my perspective that way first and foremost. And then once I would sort of developed that to some pretty, you know, high degree in my early 20s or by my early 20s, um, and of course I still have a long way to go, but uh, had like a real, you know, foundation that I had built for myself before then turning to reading in a way in which I'm curating what I want to read and, um, you know, building upon my perspective and changing my perspective on things and learning about what I want to learn about. Um, basically, building a foundation for yourself before you start having all of these opinions come in and sort of just uh, getting, you know, twisted and turned or whatever by by these opinions which you might sort of accidentally subscribe to just by reading the books. So I thought that was interesting as well. And that doesn't mean that if you're growing up as a kid and reading, like I'm sure people, someone's listening to this at some point in time uh, now or in the future and saying, like, this is so dumb. Like, you should read as a kid. It's, like, super helpful. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to change your mind, but that's how I think about it for myself in a positive way and uh it seems to make some sense to me uh not that the other way couldn't work as well and be great I'm sure it could be and it has been for all these people that I talked about but um anyway that's probably enough on reading uh 40 minutes in so I think I will um cut it for today and get to uh some Steve Jobs stories and lessons another time um but this was enjoyable, and uh, you know, like yesterday, was you know, I listened to it back actually because I thought that maybe it was uh, sort of weak, and uh, that you know, maybe it was the first one that after I recorded. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know if it was materially worse than other ones I've done. I did one that I, I thought was really good. It was a few episodes ago, and I forgot to turn on my headphones, so. It was recording through the phone in my pocket, and surprisingly picked up a good amount of it, but there's parts that are just inaudible, and the whole thing is just a mess, and I I posted it anyway, because who cares, no one's listening, and rather hit the day, and if you really are motivated to go and pick out some things, I I basically, I wouldn't have done it if I thought it was like a bad one, and the audio quality was terrible, but I actually thought it was one of the better ones, and um, I think it was called, what was it, the... uh, I think it was the one on the uh, rope walkers. Uh, it's called rope walkers and uh, something like that. Um, it was just an interesting analogy that I wanted to talk about. But uh, anyway, I posted that one. And uh, yesterday I, I listened to the one back because I thought it was just like kind of really slow and like not really, I didn't really hit anything in terms of like Real points or anything, but I listened back and it was fine. That's how it happens. I've realized, like, with my main podcast, the episodes that I thought were just so, so good, I end up listening back and being like, yeah, it was like pretty good, but like I was a little bit over excited about it. And then the ones that I thought were so, so bad, I listened back and I'm like, oh, it wasn't bad at all. It was actually like fine. It's like pretty good. Uh, maybe not pretty good, but it's like, you yeah, know, certainly not like terribly bad or anything. Um, so everything is sort of a little bit. When you think things are great, it might not be quite so good. And when you think things are terrible, they might not be bad at all. Um, so I listened back to yesterday's and it was fine. Um, you know, not one of my favorite episodes but of, of this walk and talk so far. Um, and not just to listen to, but like to, because I'm, I'm not listening to most of these after the fact. That's the first one I've listened to, I think, all the way through. Um, but uh, well, you know, one of my least favorite, and it was because maybe it's because I had high expectations. There was a sort of good idea I thought I had around sort of an analogy between AI and humans versus humans and God or gods, and uh, it just didn't really come out the way that it, it worked in my head. And it's part of why Walk and Talk is helpful, it sort of forces you to um, take so, so what might seem like a great idea in your head, but it's like a little bit ambiguous in reality and. Connect the dots, sort of like when you write about something, you can't just like make these jumps that you tend to make in your head, and uh, you have to actually connect things. So anyway, that was fine, but uh, this one today, I uh, I really enjoyed, and so you know it gives me some more conviction in in the habit that I'm doing here, waking up, going out for a walk, and doing the walk and talk. So I'll keep doing it. Um, and, uh, I guess I'll, I'll end with one more thing. There's, you know, yesterday overall, I don't know if it was because that's the way I started my day or combination of all of it or whatever, but there's sort of like a blah day. And I don't know, people don't really talk about it this all that much, but like everyone, I think has some degree of like up days and down days and in between days and everything like that. And, um, one of the helpful things that I've sort of uh kept in mind over the years is um, the best part about a bad day is that the next day tends to be better. Uh and I find that to be true very often. Um and try not to think about the reverse of that. But uh when you're when you're having a not so good day and like yesterday nothing nothing actually bad happened, it was fine. But um just sort of like a blah day even like where you're just like, eh, like, just a bit of a slog, um, you know, can't really bring yourself to work, and, uh, you know, maybe a bit frustrated with something, and, uh, you know, I did my morning walk with talk, I was like, ah, it's kind of bad, or whatever, like, this sort of stuff, like, a genuinely bad day, you know, it's um, even more so the case with the next day tends to be better, but, uh, probably, but, um, and it might take a while, it might not be the next day, every, all your problems are solved, but generally a bad day tends to be followed by a better day in my view, um, in my experience. So, and especially if you keep that in mind, I think it can be sort of, uh, you know, what do you call it? Self-fulfilling that, uh, the next day will be a bit better. So today is off to a great start. Really enjoyed this recording and I uh, hope you did too if you're listening. Um, send me any questions you want me to talk about at 0FJAKE on Twitter or Farcaster and uh, email me, Jake, at blogofjake.com and uh, I'll look out for your questions. Uh, I don't think anyone's taken me up on this yet. Uh, I did the initial call for questions on Twitter and Farcaster, but and I got a, a you know, surprising number of responses to those, which I still you know have a long queue to, to get to. But maybe if I get a fresh one, it'll be a bit more uh, incentivizing for me. or not incentivizing, motivating or whatever for me to answer it. So send them over. Um, you might be the first one to send one as a result of this audio prompt. And uh, yeah, um, that's it for today. That's the morning recording, and uh, have a great rest of your day.